0: Find other great podcasts like this one at podmoth.network. Welcome to the Brutal, Bizarre, and Boozy podcast. I'm Declan, the son.
1: And I'm Jane, the mom. This is the podcast where we talk about brutal crimes, bizarre occurrences, and get you drunk with cocktails themed around one of our stories. To lighten things up, we'd like to end our time with a chaser. Please keep in mind some of our stories might be upsetting to young or sensitive ears.
0: We love hearing from our listeners, so feel free to contact us by email or social media. You can find our contact info in the show notes for this episode. If you'd like to support us through Patreon, you can find us there at Brutal, Bizarre, and Boozy Podcast, or use the link in our show notes.
1: Hey there, my name is Bree. And I'm Suze. We're the hosts of Crime and Spirits, a true crime and cocktail podcast. Do you love spooky stories and all things true crime? How about themed cocktails? Do you love those too? Well, that's perfect because so do we. Yeah, in fact, we love them so much. We made an entire podcast all about it. Every week we bring you a new episode that covers a different case or topic of interest. But first, we'll need drinks. Don't you worry. We've got you covered there. Every week we'll teach you how to make a handcrafted cocktail that ties into the theme or topic in some way. So you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and pretty much every other platform available. New episodes roll out every Sunday, so buckle up and sip tight. We can't wait to talk some true crime with you. Bye. Well, Declan, what stories, uh, what story do you have for us today?
0: So today I'm going to be talking about the Challenger Space Shuttle.
1: Interesting. Very interesting.
0: So what about you? What are you going to be talking about?
1: I'm going to be talking about the David family from the Salt Lake City area of Utah. And to go with my drink, uh, I brought the, the drink is called the Missionary's Downfall. And it ends up, I, I found the drink and then I thought about it after the fact and went, ooh, there's a lot of Ties to this story that correlate and a little bit of dark humor if you want to think about it that way. But anyway, so the drink is 15 mint leaves, one and a half ounces of gold rum, half an ounce of peach schnapps, one third of an ounce of honey syrup, which is a three parts honey, one part water mixture, half an ounce of pineapple juice. Half an ounce of lime juice. The steps are to muddle the mint and the rum together in a shaker. Add the other ingredients and ice. Shake well and strain into an ice-filled glass. So, it was kind of an odd combination, I thought. So, we'll see how it goes. don't know
0: how this is going to turn out. I feel like it's going to be way too sweet for me, but we'll find out.
1: Maybe. I don't. I don't hate it. It's actually pretty good. It's pretty tasty. The mint
0: is kind of throwing me off a little bit, but it's not as sweet as I thought it was going to be. That lime juice. Did you use? Get rid of that. Cut that sweetness.
1: Yeah. Did you use any as many mint leaves as it suggested?
0: Uh, yes, I did. You did.
1: I did not because I had a lot of mint leaves and they were big leaves and so when I started pulling them off and adding them in I was like 15 would be almost the entire shaker full of mint leaves so I did about half
0: it's a lot of plant matter too like yes it was 15 mint leaves that's Mm it
1: it's
0: a lot of shit in there floating around
1: right yeah, I only used about half and I muddled it a little bit instead of really getting aggressive with it, but it's it's, it's like you left I'm not this huge...
0: drink over like by it's like you left a drink on your porch while you were mowing the lawn and some of the glass, grass clippings got in there. So
1: <laughs>
0: I do know, it's throwing me off yeah. a little bit, but it's not as bad as I thought it was gonna be.
1: Yeah, it's it's not too bad. I think it's fairly decent. It's pretty tasty, actually. I'd probably drink it again.
0: I don't know if I would, but (laughs) I don't like rum either. Right,
1: exactly. I was like, you don't like sweeter drinks. You don't like rum. Yeah, probably not something that you would be even having the ingredients to make up without me saying, go get this stuff and make this drink. Yeah. Yeah. So the reason I picked this drink is because of the story, as usual. The main characters in the story were from the uh, LDS church and that does play a factor. And the word downfall also plays a factor, foreshadowing. Um, So you know... That dad and I just went to Utah and we went to Salt Lake city and I was looking up. Like I was looking for bizarre cases and bizarre stories and was looking at haunted places. And I saw a hotel that was close to ours was listed as one of the haunted places in the downtown area of Salt Lake where we were. And so I read, I was reading up the background of it and I went, oh my gosh, this is a really good case. But it's both. It's very brutal, but it's also very bizarre. And it's kind of bizarre in the beginning and it gets bizarre at the end. And so this is kind of a twofer yeah. on my story.
0: Yeah. That works out perfectly because mine's the same way. Like it.
1: Oh, nice.
0: It's brutal in the aspect of what happened, but. It was bizarre right. that it happened, so.
1: Oh, well, I don't know much about your case, so I'm, I'm curious to know more details. I mean, I know it happened, but I don't know the details behind it, so. Mm-hmm. Well, let's get into this missionary's downfall story. So, this story starts with, a fa- with the father of a family. The father was born as Charles Bruce Longo on November 9, 1938, in Yonkers, New York. He was the oldest of two children to his parents. When he graduated high school, he joined the Marine Corps. While in the military, he became friends with members of the Latter-day Saints community, commonly referred to as the LDS Church and also known as the Mormon Church. Although I have heard several times recently that they don't like to be called Mormons. I don't know the details behind that, but it really doesn't come up too much other than the fact that he did join that church. in 1958, So they
0: don't like to be called Mormons. What do they want to be called?
1: Uh, LDS. Mormonism, is right? Well, I've heard that they just prefer to be considered LDS or the Latter-day Saints. I don't know. Okay, I guess. Growing up, I had, I had known people from that church and they referred to themselves as the Mormons. But I'm sure there's a big history and maybe if any of our listeners want to enlighten us as to why they prefer one over the other, feel free to write us and tell us and you know, hit us up on Instagram or send us an email or whatever. So I, I don't want to offend anybody fair. by calling them one or the other.
0: I don't think we have any Mormon listeners because our show is about drinking. So I don't think we're going to have valid point. anyone
1: valid calling point. them
0: Mormons here.
1: However, huh. however, um, you know they might be interested in other stuff, and not necessarily the just the drinking part. But huh. so in 1958, he was baptized as a member of the LDS Church. Two years later, he went on a religious mission outside of the country. The mission was supposed to last for two years, but less than a year into his mission, he became ill, both physically and mentally. Physically, he contracted hepatitis, and mentally, he started hearing voices. He told church Mm, officials that he planned to be an apostle. Due to his physical illness, he was called off of the mission and was returned to the United States. For a short time, he was treated at a psychiatric facility for both his physical and mental illnesses. He continued to hear voices and have visions. Upon being released from the hospital, he decided to go to Utah and enter the Brigham Young University. This is a well-known university that many members of the LDS Church attend. It's like kind of their big church that they all go to or a a large population of the people that go to that university are from that church. It's often where many of them find their soon-to-be spouses and this is what happened in this case. This is where Longo met his future bride. Her name was Margit Eriksson. She was a fellow student at BYU. She was originally from Sweden, born in born on November 4th, 1939. She had converted to the LDS church at the age of 18. Longo mentioned to Margit's roommate that he had had a vision that he and Margit would be married. Margit found this appealing and she soon dropped out of school. So, he says to the roommate, I'm supposed to marry your roommate. And Margit goes, sounds like a great idea to me, drops out of school, and gets married to him. The two were married in December of That's 1961. Great. The couple soon began having children. When Longo graduated from the university in 1965, they already had two kids. The family soon moved to Salt Lake City, Utah. Around 1969, Longo had another vision. This time, he explained that he was going to be the next prophet of the church. The following year, the man named as the prophet for the church died, and Longo was very upset when he was not named as the new prophet. He told church officials that he was actually God, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Ghost all combined. They didn't like that.
0: I, I'm not positive on this, but I'm pretty sure that's how LDS was started. Is mm. Joseph Smith
1: thought Saying he was a he prophet
0: was... and then just created the religion in 1844, I think.
1: I don't know anything about any religious history for any religion. Not a clue. I wasn't raised. Right
0: here, so.
1: Oh, interesting. Okay.
0: I had heard weird things about him, like he was like kind of a weird guy, and then one day he's just like, Here's the new church. But I
1: well, I don't know. That's kind of what happened in this case. But <laughs> okay. it takes a very dark turn. So Longo made this declaration that he was God Jesus Christ and the Holy Ghost. And The church didn't like it, so they kicked him out. They excommunicated him from the church for abandoning their religious belief. And being excommunicated from the church, I've heard, is like a big deal. So people don't want it. Obviously, I mean, nobody wants to, you know, get kicked out of something that they believe in. But he did make some statements and they did not think it was cool. Uh, Shortly after he was excommunicated, Longo legally changed his name to Emmanuel David. And Margit's name was changed to Rachel David. So in researching this case, the names were, I don't know if they were changed like to try and cover something up because there's some shady shit going down. Or if because it was this happened, this whole case happened in the 70s, if maybe the reporting wasn't really clear. But the names of the main, especially the wife, Margit, who then becomes Rachel, I have seen her called Rebecca and Rachel interchangeably from all the different sources. Many of them call her Rebecca. Many of her call him Rachel. I'm going to refer to her as Rachel. But she's also listed out there in the universe of Google and the internet as Rebecca. So I don't know. Still clinging to his belief of being God, Emmanuel started a cult with several family members and close friends who had also been excommunicated. He continued to refer to himself as the Messiah, and at times also as the Holy Trinity. God, Jesus, Holy Ghost, all that stuff. His family and the cult members were believers in Emmanuel's divinity, truly believing he was God. He eventually moved his family and the cult to Manti, Utah. And... As people know things about cults, it takes money to run a cult. That mm-hmm. I think kind of is where a lot of cults have their downfall: is that it takes a lot of money, and they do shady shit to get that money. This is the thing they that, cannot be... pay
0: taxes because they're church, <laughs>
1: right? So they were able to convince some people to don't mo- donate money. Nothing shady about that. Hey, if you believe in our message and believe in who we are, give us some money and people are like, "Cool, that's fine." They also ran a knife business on the up and up,
0: apparently. Uh, interesting.
1: Yeah, it's yeah. Uh but then some members of the cult created scams. And they were doing this claiming illnesses of family members, which brought the attention of law enforcement. As it often does, specifically oh, yes. for wire fraud and because they were asking people to send them money under false pretenses, they were saying like Uh-oh. i have I have a family member who's sick and in the hospital, and we need money, please send us money," and people would send them money, and it was fake, so That's a big
0: scam, okay.
1: Yes, that's why you're from. I was going to say,
0: how would a sick person, like, cause you, but that makes sense.
1: Yes. So nobody was sick. They were just making all that shit up. Yeah. So charges were being investigated regarding several of the family members or the cult members. This led several of the families in the cult to move from Manti and start living in hotels in different cities. So they had brought attention to themselves in the city that they were in. So they were like, "Disperse everyone and go carry on your bad things in other cities." So they just kind of uh,
0: spread like out, branching out, bit. kind of. Or...
1: Yeah. Yep. Okay. Emanuel and his family eventually moved to Salt Lake City in 1977. They took up residence in a multi-story hotel that, at the time, was named the International Dunes Hotel. It changed hands and changed names and been remodeled a couple of times since then but for a while it was at the time it was the international dunes and then it was the shiloh and now it is the um hollywood hollywood holiday inn express it's located in downtown area of salt lake the family stayed in a suite on the 11th floor by this time, Emanuel and Rachel had seven children ranging in ages from 15 to 6 years old. The children were homeschooled in the hotel room by Rachel and were rarely seen by anyone outside of the room. Oh, no
0: homeschooled in a hotel room? Yeah. That's fucking awful. That sounds so bad. Yeah. It does. Homeschooling is tough enough. But if you're all stuck in one room, and you have to do your homework, like mm-hmm. on the bed that you sleep in, because there's no desks right. or anything.
1: Like. Right. Well, it was a suite. So and there's there was multiple rooms. Um, oh, we, okay. I, I think the the it has been remodeled. And I did see a YouTube video, where the people from the video were staying in the room. And it just was a standard hotel room it wasn't a suite anymore but at the time they were in a multi room suite because anytime housekeeping would come clean the room the children were sent to another area of the suite until the housekeeper housekeeper left so they weren't allowed a lot of interaction with other people they weren't supposed to be around other people they were kind of kept isolated hmm. which i mean is odd i mean first of all i don't want to be in a room where house cleaning is you know cleaning my room i'm not i'm not going to be in the there job. yeah <laughs> right do your job i don't need to be in here watching you do your job but they would usher the kids to another room Make them stay in there until the housekeeper left, and then they could go back to the other area, so
0: covered in fucking black eyes and shit, and they didn't want the housekeeper to see it.
1: I don't know. no one described the children as looking like anything bad had happened to them. They were actually described by a, the people that did have interactions with them as polite but quiet um. They weren't really allowed to, like, they weren't roaming the halls. They weren't, you know, causing a ruckus. I mean, we've all been in those hotels where there's kids literally running up and down the hallway screaming and, you know, doing God knows what. That was not these kids. These kids were well-behaved and quiet, according to the people that did have interactions with them. Interesting Emmanuel paid for the $90 a day room in cash every day. So instead of just saying, we're going to be here for a week or a month or whatever, he's going down every day, handing him a hundred dollar bill paying for his room. And they did this for over a year.
0: Jesus.
1: Yeah. They ordered food from nearby restaurants. And having been in that downtown area, I don't know what it's like, what it was like then, but I know now, because I walked around a lot, there were a lot of restaurants. So they probably had some pretty good food. But it was estimated that they would need about $300 a day for living expenses. In today's money, that would be about $1,400 a day.
0: What are they doing?
1: Yeah. Well, you gamble $90, $90 a day for a hotel room in 1978, you know, you think about... Three hundred dollars like equates to about fourteen. You're looking at, you know, two hundred dollar plus for the room. Yikes. Yeah. Meanwhile, um they were getting this money from cult members because neither one of the parents had a an actual job. They would do like Emmanuel would do some odd jobs here and there, supposedly. But they didn't have like full-time employment. So they were getting the money for this lifestyle from the cult. Law enforcement was continuing to investigate um, the cult and its members for financial crimes. It was estimated that from January 1978 to August of 1978, the cult scammed $38,000 or about $180,000 in today's money. 2023 twenty would be about $180,000 in nine, eight months. In May of 1978, one of the members had actually been prosecuted for fraud, and when he claimed to have a sick child in a hospital needing money. Although the FBI was looking into the cult, they were having difficulty proving that the scams were ordered by Emanuel. On July 31, 1978, Manuel drove to the desert outside of Salt Lake City. He had just learned that the FBI was looking to indict him for wire fraud. Using a hose to direct exhaust fumes into the vehicle, Emmanuel took his life. His body was discovered August 1st by a hiker. Police informed Rachel of the death the following day on August 2nd. Her response was described as "agitated and worried, but she didn't seem surprised. She stated that Emmanuel had been depressed lately. I mean, being investigated by the FBI for wire fraud might do that to you. I'd be depressed about that. but I'm also not scamming people out of thousands of dollars, so she also mentioned that she couldn't pay for his funeral. Rachel reportedly asked the hotel manager if he would work with her regarding the hotel charges, like the room costs and things like that, and also talked about enrolling her, sk- her kids in public school. She would now be the only source of income for the family. In the morning of August 3rd, Rachel took the children to the balcony of the suite. Several chairs were stacked next to the railing. If you have a problem with I mean, we don't normally do content warnings. This is bad. So if you have a problem with it, skip ahead because it's not good. Okay. Several chairs were stacked next to the railing. Rachel proceeded to push the three youngest children over the railing and off the balcony. Before falling, at least two of them held on tightly, one she had to pry the fingers off the railing before the child fell. Remember, they're on the 11th floor. The four older children climbed the chairs that were stacked on the balcony and jumped on their own. Once all of the children were gone, Rachel climbed over the railing herself and sat for a moment. People were gathering on the street under the hotel watching the carnage. Disgusted with what they had just witnessed, several people started chanting, jump, bitch, and she soon did. Yeah. Yeah, it's rough. It's rough. It's rough. Oldest... <laughs> funny. It's funny.
0: Well, the last I mean, part that's was, an interesting that's thing <laughs>
1: for them to say, but they had just watched her do that to seven children. Seven. Yeah,
0: I'd I'd be screaming that too.
1: <laughs> Man, the oldest child, also called Rachel, survived the fall. However. She sustained very severe injuries with many broken bones, injured organs, and she remained in a coma for several weeks. She had had multiple surgeries to repair her body, and she was eventually released from the hospital. For a while, she lived in a foster home and then with an uncle and other cult members, which kind of surprises me that they allowed that, but I mean... Family wants to be with family. So, you know, the family can't be held responsible for the actions of the mother. So, I mean, I get it, but I also kind of surprises me. But 15 years after the fateful day, Rachel was interviewed on a TV program. Rachel, the daughter, obviously. She still believed her father, Emmanuel, was God and would return to Earth someday. She stated he had never lied to her. She wanted to be with her family and reportedly attempted suicide on multiple occasions. According to one source, she is still alive but unable to walk, so she lives in an adult care facility and she does have permanent brain damage. So, I mean, there's some bizarre stuff, there's brutal stuff. Now there's more bizarre stuff because bad stuff happens and it often leaves a residue soon after the death. Guests of the host hotel started reporting strange things, paranormal activity and all that fun stuff. Some people reported seeing the deceased children running up and down the hallways of the 11th floor. Others reported hearing children crying and the wails of a woman. Some guests have reported hearing children's laughter coming from the indoor pool area, which is interesting since the when the family lived there, the children were not supposedly they were not allowed in the pool area. They weren't allowed to play there at all. So I guess in the afterlife, they were like, well, now we can go play at the pool. Let's go. Um, There have been reports that a pinball machine in the hotel also is operating on its own where it'll just start working and there's nobody. there. That's weird. Yeah. Maintenance workers have said that strange things also occur on the 13th floor where the maintenance for the hotel is done. Uh, Like their tools get moved around and then light bulbs on that floor are unscrewed without any explanation. And while I was bored and walking around downtown Salt Lake City, I went into the hotel. I went to the 11th floor. Um... I was only in there for a couple minutes. I didn't hear anything, feel anything. But again, I was, I literally just walked around the hallway. Um, that was it. There's nothing to see on the inside hallway of a hotel. Um, I did try to go down the pool area, you know, has a key card access to the pool area. So I couldn't go in there. Um, but very interesting and brutal, and bizarre, all wrapped into one.
0: That was pretty grimace.
1: Yeah. Uh, Sorry, everyone. Yeah. I, should have, I should have started with the content warning. I was going to, and then I forgot. At least I warned everyone before I really got into it, because it was gross. I could have gone into more detail. There was a lot of details, like... There was a lot of details that I didn't want to go into about placement and sidewalks and no thanks it's bad enough
0: (laughs) all right well let me tell you about the challenger so in the late 1970s uh, nasa started a space shuttle program Uh, it was envisioned as a reusable spaceship that they were able to ferry astronauts and cargo to and from a low earth orbit. This groundbreaking concept promised to make space more accessible, cost-effective, and ultimately a routine part of our collective human experience, which didn't really happen until I think this year, this year they mm-hmm. finally have commercial space travel. You just go into the highest Part of like the atmosphere. So not really space, right. but
1: right, exactly. Not space, but close to it. Yeah.
0: Years of tireless research and development culminated in the unveiling of the Enterprise, the first prototype. In 1976, it was an awe-inspiring site with its delta-shaped wings and fuselage that seemed to epitomize the promise of the new era of space exploration. The Enterprise wasn't designed for space travel, but Rather, a series of atmospheric test flights. These initial missions were crucial in understanding the shuttle's aerodynamics, its handling characteristics, and the intricacies of its gliding descent. Because the, the space shuttles aren't like the typical rockets you see where it's like fins on the bottom, like a giant, like, like a straight That's how they get up there. The fins. Right. Yes. Yeah, so... We'll- Looks like a missile, but then the shuttle
1: breaks off.
0: Well, the shuttle, the ones that they built, um, they're like, they're super bubbly and they have big wings like an airplane. They don't have fins Mm -hmm. really. And they would attach them to the tops of like huge jets so that they could take off in the sky. Like they would Mm. detach from the jet and then fly off.
1: Gotcha. Engaged
0: thrusters or whatever. Right. (laughs) The success of these tests paved the way for the the grand debut of the space shuttle Columbia in 1981. Commanded by the intrepid John Young and piloted by Robert Crippen. It's definitely not throwing up blood. But it was a moment of collective breath holding. A culmination of years of meticulous planning and dedication. Columbia's historic mission, designated STS-1, marked the official commencement of the space shuttle program. The world watched in awe as the shuttle soared into the heavens, leaving a trail of fire and smoke in its wake. The era of reusable space travel had, da- had dawned, promising an exciting new chapter of human achievement. On board the Challenger were six astronauts and one civilian. Commander Francis R. Scobie, a seasoned astronaut with a keen sense of duty. Pilot Michael J. Smith, a distinguished naval officer with a love for flying that had taken him to the highest echelons of the military and finally at NASA. Mission specialist Ronald McNair, a physicist with a brilliant mind and a passion for pushing boundaries. He had a dream of playing a saxophone in space, so he brought that with him on this trip. Oh, cool. <laughs> kind of interesting, but... Yeah. Uh, Mission Specialist Ellison... Uh, sorry if I min- mispronounce your name. Onizuka, a trailblazer. Uh, he was an American-Asian. Or, sorry, he was the first American-Asian in space. Asian-American, sorry. I'm not sure the right way to say that, but say it both ways just in case. <laughs> uh, and Mission Specialist Ruth Resnick... Uh, a brilliant engineer and accomplished pilot. And last but certainly not least, a teacher. Krista McAulphy, I believe is how you say it. name. McAuliffe. McAuliffe. Uh, sh- Krista
1: McAuliffe. Uh,
0: McAuliffe. Uh, yeah, yep. you're right. <laughs> McAuliffe was not even close.
1: <laughs> nope.
0: Uh, so Krista McAuliffe was a social studies teacher who, uh, one of thousands of people who submitted into nasa to be because they were looking for one civilian to go up on this program with them and she got picked because she was a teacher she was like oh i'd love to be able to teach the kids about space and be like a great example for them
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, the world watched in anticipation as these seven heroes prepared to embark on a journey that held the promise of scientific discovery
1: what year was that on again January- remind me the year? Oh, you're going to say it right now. 1986.
0: Sorry. On January 28, 1986, the day was clear and cold with an eerie silence. Uh, as the sun cast long shadows across Kennedy Space Center, engineers, technicians, and astronauts went about final preparations with a sense of purpose and determination. Countdown clock ticked relentlessly. The weather was always a wild card, and this day specifically, temperatures were unusually low. Ice had actually formed on the launch pad overnight. Oh. So, pretty frigid. Uh, yeah. The NASA team, led by flight director Jay Green, faced a difficult decision: proceed with the launch or delay it because of the weather. And as we know, he he decided to proceed. So. Right. In the midst of the delicate balance, the crew of the STS-51L prepared to board the Challenger. All seven of our astronauts got on board and readied themselves. As the final minutes of the countdown approached, the tension was palpable. The world watched in a rapt attention and weight of expectations resting in the shoulders of those who dared to venture beyond Earth's bounds. At T-minus 10 seconds, engines roared to life and the brilliant plumes of fire and smoke erupted, propelling Challenger skywards. Uh, But within 73 seconds, there was a massive disaster. Yeah. The the shuttle just immediately exploded. Like, an explosion that I've never seen before. They have it. It was obviously filmed for the news and stuff and Mm -hmm. it's like it looks crazy.
1: It was a big deal because Uh, of the teacher. The teacher being on it was a huge deal. And it was a you know, it was on every T V in schools practically. It was a big deal.
0: Uh, It was right over uh the ocean too. So they sent some boats out immediately after the explosion just to mm-hmm. check for any survivors or anything, and right. there was nothing. They even sent like scuba team scuba teams down afterwards to investigate it, and there were no survivors. But Oof. the mission control room, which was normally pretty loud, just completely silent. Like because we've all seen space. Movies where they go into the control room and there's like 40 people sitting at computers just all talking at right. the same time. But like, mm-hmm. it's completely quiet. Flight director Jay Green's voice crackled over the intercom, trying to make sense of the unimaginable. The crew of the ST-51L were all gone. For their families, the world had changed. All of them were spouses, childrens, parents, and friends. So, must have been pretty hard to watch. Because if if you guys are going into space, I'd want to watch from the launch pad. Like,
1: yeah.
0: Yeah. Shortly after this, President Ronald Reagan addressed the nation. Uh, He's quoted as saying, "These heroes who slipped the surly bonds of Earth and touched the face of God." The investigation into the Challenger disaster would reveal a tragic cascade of events with an O-ring failure connected to the uh the fuel cell. Um it had, since it got so cold that night, it had actually cracked and caused oh. it cuz Cause with rubber and like O-rings and stuff like that if they get really cold and then heat up really fast as if you're lighting a rocket. Right. It, they they tend to fail because oh. rubber only has so much that it can do with temperature wise. So
1: right. Oh they geez. discovered
0: that it was just one seal on the whole thing. And wow. They were able to redesign it and make a seal that actually worked and they sent, I believe, two more shuttles in this program after that. With the last and final one being in 2011.
1: Wow. Yeah.
0: And if you guys are interested, I would go check out the explosion video because it's wild.
1: It is wild. And and if you see a still picture of it, it's usually the still picture. I'm sure it will be in our, I will put (laughs) it in our Instagram post. But you know exactly what that picture is. I know (laughs) I don't have to have any context. If I see that picture, I know exactly what the story is about. I don't need the details. I know exactly it's about the challenger.
0: It's like the the same one picture that was famous. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: It's an iconic picture. I mean, it was such a huge tragedy and so like fully unexpected and just, yeah, very, very tragic. I mean, it's not
0: often. I mean, I don't really know for sure, but it's not often that, like, missions into space go poorly. So.
1: Right. There's, I'm sure there's uh, something that's always like, ooh, this is kind of bad. But nothing like this. This was such a huge deal. because
0: The Apollo mission, that one, they, everyone made it back, but they almost didn't. Like, they ran out of fuel, I believe, and had to go around Shotgun the moon around and the moon. use it as like yeah. a slingshot yeah. yeah yeah that'd be fucking scary you just realize it's gonna happen no out there power. right <laughs>
1: right i don't know i don't think i could do it no thanks wow Well,
0: do you have a chaser for us?
1: I do have a chaser. And I was looking for a chaser and I found this story. And I, I found a couple of stories and I was like, oh, that's interesting. That's cool. And then I found this one and I almost cried. And I was like, oh, I have to do this one. So if I cry, everyone, you'll understand because it is just like the sweetest, cutest thing ever. So there's a hmm. dog named Scout. He is an escape artist. Uh, He was a stray dog at um, a shelter in Michigan. And he was waiting around getting, you know, waiting to be adopted and he wasn't getting adopted. So one day he decided, screw this shit. I'm going to break out. So one night he scaled a 10 foot chain link fence. Then a six-foot solid privacy fence. He crossed a busy highway without getting hit by cars. And down the street, there was a nursing home. So he walked in the front door and curled up on a couch and went to sleep. Staff found him, called the shelter the next day, had them come get him. A few nights later, he did it again. He went back to the shelter. He did it one more time. He did it three times. He made this sketchy escape, crossed a busy road, made it to the same place, curled up on the same couch. So the staff said, all right, guess he wants to stay here. So they adopted him. And now he lives. And it's like... It's a, it's a long term permanent care facility for patients with dementia, elderly people that don't have family, um, and people who are in the end stages of life. And so now they have a dog named Scout who lives there with them. And it's like the cutest, sweetest
0: yeah. thing. Yeah.
1: Oh my That's God. So it's like a, <laughs> like a Disney story.
0: It's like a Disney movie. It is.
1: It's so sweet. So I love Scout. Scout's smart.
0: Yes, he uses scouting knowledge to find his way to his new home.
1: (laughs) And there's the cutest picture of him. He's like this black and tan dog. And he's got like these little tan eyebrows. And he's just chilling on this couch. Like, this is my couch. (laughs) I don't know why you guys don't want me to. Why I can't be here? I live here now, so yeah. Good old Scout. I
0: wonder. Oh, this I this just popped into my brain. I don't know why, but I wonder if like he his owner is there with like dementia. <laughs> she just doesn't I know. Definitely that <laughs> I definitely wondered that too.
1: I definitely wondered that too. Like <laughs> something was drawing him there. It reminds me of that story yeah. that I did about Oscar the Cat.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But now we got Scout the dog. So. <laughs> Although I haven't heard that Scout has any special powers other than he's a fantastic escape artist.
0: He, he escapes and he knows how to get to elderly homes.
1: Right. Just the same one. <laughs> so do you have a chaser for us today?
0: My chaser is a movie recommendation
1: nice
0: for uh vacation friends 2 on hulu oh yeah just came out like last weekend i want to say it's pretty funny i i don't think it's as good as the first one but it definitely didn't disappoint
1: i would agree with that i don't think it was as good as the first one it was good
0: it's pretty good though
1: but i don't think it was as good
0: if you haven't seen the first one watch that one too
1: yes definitely watch the first one but there were some good funny characters in the in both of them but yeah yeah it was it was really good
0: it has the same characters from the first one so it's kind of cool
1: right but the dad yeah her dad yeah he was a new character and he he was definitely a a different kind of guy so (laughs) (laughs) Uh, awesome right, well on. thanks it was nice chatting with you
0: yeah uh thanks for listening everybody thank you bye bye I'll be
1: bad. bye
0: i'll be too
1: hey friends thank you for supporting our podcast please share our show with your brutal and bizarre friends give us a boozy follow on your favorite podcast platform if you're feeling extra generous we'd appreciate a five-star rating or review as well But maybe do that sober so all the letters are in the right place.
0: You can find all our contact information in the show notes. We love hearing from you. And if you're interested in helping us stock the bar for our future boozy episodes, you can find our Patreon link in the show notes as well.